When the hurt goes deeper than the deepest place, your heart is ever known. When you're standing in your darkest trial and it seems you're standing all alone. When the tears fall down like bitter rain and you're wondering if the sun will shine again in the midst of disappointment look around you'll find a faithful friend he's walked through my darkest valley shining light upon the lily by the way he has picked me up and held me when i thought i could not face Another day When my heart is stopped in singing And my mind was simply searching for an end I can tell you by experience I found a faith Jesus is a friend that stays closer than any brother ever can. When the one that you trusted prove untrue, on him you can depend. He will never fail or let you down, and his love will help your broken heart to mend. So pick up the broken pieces, turn around, you'll find a faithful friend. He's walked through my darkest valley, shining light upon the lily by the way. He has picked me up and held me when I thought I could not face another
think of all the many times I've been spared pain and misery. Even when I played the fool, your unseen hand was there protecting me. Though I've had my share of troubles, I must confess to this reality. When I look back on my yesterdays, I have to raise my hands and say, Lord, you've been good to me.
We need you tonight. Yes, Yes. Yes. Now, Lord, help us. Right, take your Bibles again, turn to Titus 3, where we were this morning. We want to continue the thought we were looking at. Sure has been a good day in God's house. Amen. Sure enjoyed the meeting this morning. Good to see a good crowd back on Sunday night. And uh, that's become a thing of the past. And I sure am grateful that you're here and that you're in your place. Amen. And I appreciate you being faithful to the house of God. Appreciate the good afternoon. Enjoyed the good meal and fellowship with the Dents and Pastor and others. And uh, it's just a joy to be back in the house of God tonight. Trust your praying and expecting the Lord to do some things in the days that are ahead of us. Amen. What do we want from God? You ever thought about that? What do we really want from God? Because I think sometimes we, we, have, a, we have a perception that what we're looking for from God, but if it came, we really wouldn't want it. Because with those blessings to whom much is given... Much is required, amen? But I want God, don't you? I want to feel his realness. I want to sense his presence. I want to know his power like I've never known it before. Titus chapter 3, let's pick up our reading again. In verse number 1, we'll just shift down to get to our text and thought down around verse number 8. The Bible said, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work. To speak evil of no man, but to be and to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is our theme verse or text verse for tonight. The Bible said, this is a faithful saying, these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain Good works. It's neat that the Lord is reminding us again that it's not works that save us, but it's salvation that causes us to work. Amen. We're not saved so that we can get saved. We're not working so we can get saved, but we are, uh, we are working because we are saved. What a privilege it is to labor for the cause of Christ. Amen. When we consider the great price that he paid for us. Notice the last statement. He said, these things are good and profitable unto men. These things are good and profitable unto men. I lifted that thought out of verse number 8 this morning. I want to continue to march down that track with you for just a few moments this evening in the service. 
where I, I, I dealt with this subject, profitable things. Amen. The Bible said that maintaining and doing good works would be a profitable thing, meaning that there is an advantage to doing those things. And I, I think you and I do well tonight to examine our spiritual life and make sure that we are investing our time and our treasure and our talents in profitable things. I, I think about this, and I'll give you this illustration, and then I'll dive right into the message tonight. But in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17, there's the story told about ten leprous men. And you recall that they, they come to where Jesus is against the law at that time. And they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And, and the Lord tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of that dreaded disease of leprosy. The Bible reminds us that as they went and were cleansed, that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. The other nine were not found. They went on about their business. May I say to you that there is a picture in that because leprosy was a death sentence. It was an inevitability. There was no cure outside of a miraculous cure. If you contracted leprosy in the day that Christ was upon the earth, you were going to die. It was just a matter of when you were going to die. But to be honest, even if you were in the early stages of that terrible dreaded disease, uh, your life wasn't worth living. You were outcast from your family. You were rejected by society. You were forced to live in an outcampment, uh, a leper colony of sorts. You were required to wear a bell around your neck if you went out in the nighttime so that nobody could have any contact with you uh, and, and, and catch that dreaded disease that you already had, that contagious disease. Uh, and so it doesn't matter if you were in a state where maybe your leprosy was contained to just a white spot on your hand or your arm or your face, or rather you were in the advanced stages of that leprosy, and that life was ebbing away quickly. Uh, it did not really make any difference for the current. The reality was you were a dead man walking. You were waiting to die. Death was inevitable. And the life you had wasn't worth living. And so these men come to Christ. And Christ gloriously and miraculously cures them of that disease of leprosy. But isn't it interesting that out of those ten men... Uh, Nine of them went on about their business. Nine of them went on about their plans and their ambitions. Here's what happened. God gave them their life. You see, in the beginning of that story, when they are the victims of leprosy and, and are, are carriers of that disease, they're dead men walking. Amen. But when Christ encounters them, when they meet Jesus in the way, and he gives them life back. Now they've got life again. Isn't that what Jesus said to you and I? He said he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And I reminded you this morning, the Bible said that when we were lost without God, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But he's quickened us and caused us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and so the, the, the analogy is simply this, that when you were lost without God, you didn't have a life worth living. 
And you were dead while you were alive. Amen. And you were waiting to die, so to speak. But once you met Christ, you were given life. The drunkard's no longer a drunkard. The, 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 the addict is no longer an addict. The one who was promiscuous is no longer promiscuous. And, and God in His mercy and God in His grace, and Titus said it, that, that mercy was shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus. Amen. And what God did for you and I is He gave us life again. Amen. We have a new birth, and therefore we have a new life. And where we were once dead, and we weren't having anything worth living for, now we have an abundant life in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so the question remains, and it's clear in the story of those ten lepers, what are you going to do with the life that Christ gave you? You see what I'm saying? You've got a life to live. God gave you your life back. But the average Christian, the average believer will spend most of his life consuming himself, consuming his life on himself. He'll live his life for himself. See, those, those nine men, they have not, they didn't go back to sinful events. There's no evidence that they went back to the world. They just simply went about their business. But one of those men, the Samaritan, returned and said, I want to take my life that God has given me and use my life to give God glory for what He's done for me. Amen. And here's what's going to happen, beloved. I believe this with my heart. I believe the Scriptures teach us this. That what we've done prior to our salvation has been taken care of by the blood. Amen. It's under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, washed away, cleansed, taken care of, blotted out, never to be remembered again. And may I say to you that with certainty, you and I will never stand in judgment because of the things that were done before we were saved by the grace of God. Amen. And I, I understand. I believe there is the possibility of a man receiving forgiveness if we are faithful and just to confess, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from our sins. It's a perpetual process. I am grateful that we can go daily before the throne and say, forgive my sins. Amen. Lord, forgive my sins. But here's where you're going to stand in judgment, and I'm going to stand in judgment. We'll give an account for the life that God gave us back and what we accomplished with it or what we did with it. Amen. And so we have to inventory our life, we have to examine our life, we have to audit our life and make sure that we are investing in spiritually profitable things. Amen. And we looked at one this morning and that was simply this, the miracle of regeneration is worth investing in. Salvation is always worth it. Amen. No greater gift given than salvation. Thank God for that. You know what? I didn't hear any disagreements. Nobody met me after church today and said, Preacher, I disagree with the content of your sermon today. I'm at odds with the idea that salvation is always profitable. Not one of you came up and said that. We're in agreement tonight, spiritually, that the miracle of regeneration is worth investing in. It's a profitable thing. If that is so, then let me give you the second thought on my mind tonight. 
And if we're going to be involved, involved in profitable things, uh, not only is the, the miracle of regeneration profitable, but I want to add that the ministry of reconciliation is profitable. Amen. The ministry of reconciliation. You might take your Bibles and look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 with me for just a moment. And here's why I say this. The ministry of reconciliation is about bringing men to the knowledge of Christ. You see, they cannot be reconciled to someone that they are not acquainted with. Are you with me? Amen. They cannot be reconciled to somebody that they do not know. And so it becomes imperative in the life of a believer if we believe that the miracle of regeneration is profitable, then we ought to believe that and be investing in the ministry of reconciliation. For it is the ministry of reconciliation that brings men to the miracle of regeneration. Amen. The Bible reminds us in Romans chapter number 10 that uh, how, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it said, how shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? Uh, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach uh, except he be sinned? And so I focus on that. How shall they call, believe in him in whom they have not heard? Somebody has got to bring men uh, to the Savior, to the knowledge of Christ, uh, and introduce them to the lovely Lord Jesus that can save them and forgive their sins. Amen. And so here in Second Corinthians chapter number 5, we see this great principle laid out for us beginning in verse number 17. The Bible said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Somebody ought to pause and shout about ten minutes. Amen. I'm glad I'm not what I used to be. I'm glad I'm not who I used to be. I'm glad I don't do what I used to do. Amen. I've met the Savior. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But what's the change now? Verse number 18, And, are, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us, circle the word us, to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, uh, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he had made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. And so unfolding before us is this opportunity of investment. There's this possibility of something that we can invest in uh, that will have phenomenal returns. Amen. And he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. Let's walk through these verses for just a moment because the emphasis of verses 18, 19, and 20, and really even 21 is this. 
the emphasis is that we have been given much in our own salvation. We've been given much in our own conversion, and therefore, God requires much of us. Amen right there. You'll notice in verse number 18 that the Scripture deals with the ministry of reconciliation. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And as a result of what he has done in our lives, uh, he has given us the ministry. That word ministry means administration. Uh, It gives the idea of responsibility and brings us to bear with the idea of stewardship. He said he has given us the ministry or given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I wrote this down. I noticed that the verse contains the motivation for our service. Amen. He has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, there's, the, the Trinity is being identified because it's speaking about God the Father. And how God the Father has reconciled mankind, but mankind is such a such a vague terminology, such a broad representation that what Paul does is he brings it down a little bit closer, and he said this for the girl. He said he's given us, he's he's reconciled us, Amen. Boy, it's something to say he saves the world. But salvation is a personal experience. And he does, or he will save the world. But this text is reminding us that he saved us. Amen. Everything about our experience with the Lord has to be taken on a personal basis and a personal level. Amen. You see, that's the problem. You can walk uptown in America tonight, go to Walmart, hang out out front for a few minutes, and you'll find people who are in agreement that there's wickedness in the world. Uh, You'll have people that will agree with you there's evil in the world, that there's vileness in the world, even maybe using that Bible terminology, sin in the world. But if you get them to come down personal and get them to admit they're a sinner, that's a different matter. Amen? There's sin in the world. There's sin in society. There's sin out there. But when it comes personal, they have to admit there's sin in me. That's when a man can get saved. And as long as that man doesn't see himself as a sinner, he's not in a position that he can get saved. Amen. And so what Paul is reminding us in 2 Corinthians 5 is this. He said we were sinners and it was personal. He reconciled us. It's a personal event. That took place in our lives. And by the way, isn't it a wonderful thought to consider that if we'd have been the only one, he'd have still saved us. I'm persuaded that if you had been the only individual that needed saving, he'd have done exactly what he did. He'd have still came. He'd have still went to the cross. He'd have still died in your place so that you could be saved by the grace of God. So there's our motivation We know what is expected of us simply because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Now, let me not linger here, but when I think about this statement, He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
My mind races to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, there's a parable told, and you got to be careful about its application because we know it's a kingdom parable, and so it deals with some different and it deals with some different structure. But there's an application in the midst of that. He talks about a man. He said the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. And and uh, to paraphrase the parable, the scripture said that he, he divides unto his servants his goods. And in the context of the story, he takes one servant and he gives him five talents, a measure of money. In the next servant, he gives him two talents, a measure of his money. And the last servant comes and he gives him one talent. And then there's an explanation of that difference. For the scripture said he gave to those men according to their several ability. Amen. That word means different or unique skills and talents that the Lord has given a man. And so you've got one man with five, one man with two, uh, and one man with one. Well, in time, the master comes back and he requires of his servants uh, what they did with his talents. Uh, the man that had five comes back, said he gave it to the traders, and he made five. The one who had two said he made two. But when he comes to the fellow that had one, he said, uh, I took your talent, your talent, and I dug in the ground, and I buried that talent because I was afraid of you. You're a hard man. You, 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 you sow, you, you reap where you have not sowed. Uh, and the master said to him, and he, here's what he referred to him. The man that had five, he called him a good uh, and a faithful servant. The man that had two that made two, he called him a good and a faithful servant. Uh, so good and faithful is not about the quantity produced, uh, but about the faithfulness of the walk. Uh, amen. amen. But when he comes to that third man uh, that, that buried his talent in the ground, he referred to him, and I quote, as a wicked and slothful servant. Amen. A wicked and slothful servant. Here's, and listen to me again, I understand there's a kingdom application, and I certainly don't believe in an outer darkness that is a Baptist purgatory and for the saints of God. That's unscriptural, and I think I could prove that even in that Matthew 25 text. But here's what I want to say to you. In an application to you and I as believers, if we fail to embrace the ministry of reconciliation, then you listen to me and hear me well. If we fail to embrace it, number one, God said, it's wicked. Amen. It's wicked. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you what you would assess, all right? Let me ask you what you would assess about a man who discovered the cure for cancer. Well, I mean, if we had a man, and let's just put him in America's shores. Maybe better yet, we'll put him in planes. Amen. And, uh, and, and suddenly, through his scientific research or through random something or another, he discovers an herb or he discovers a pill or discovers some, some chemical compound and it cures cancer. Well, what if that man hid it? Amen. There's not a family that's under the sound of my voice at Lighthouse Baptist Church tonight. That's not being impacted by cancer. There's not a one of you in here tonight, not a one of you who hasn't had a family member or maybe yourself personally 
and you've suffered or you've endured other suffering because of cancer, and if somebody had the cure and they never told you, if they hid it from you, if they would not let you have access to it, you were unaware of its existence, you know what you and I would say? I'm from Georgia. <laughs> Listen, I know what we just said. That's a wicked man. That's an evil man. That's a wicked individual. Am I right? Because they withheld something that was good, that could have had such a very positive impact on the lives of so many. They had it, but they wouldn't use it, and it would be a wicked thing. How much more? I don't have the cure to cancer. I I know one that can cure cancer, but I don't have the cure for cancer. I don't have the answer to man's diseases. But I'll tell you what I do know. I do know how they can have eternal life. And, 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 And if I believe that it would be wicked for a man to hide a cure for cancer, how much more are you and I operating wickedly if we do not tell others about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Say amen right there. It's wicked for you and I to withhold from the world what God could do for them because He's already done it for us. Amen. Then the other phrase, Brother Jamie, was slothful. That's a word for lazy. Amen. Lazy. Man, I'm telling you, I don't want to ever be known as being lazy in the business of God. And he said he was a wicked and a slothful servant. Here's what I thought about when I read these verses in light of this ministry of reconciliation, the profitability of the ministry of reconciliation. We ought to be motivated because we are saved. But how about the master? We ought to always operate in view of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, that's exactly right. He said that, I thought about this, that the master has given us a command. You and I are commanded to go out and tell somebody else about Jesus. Go into the highways and the hedges and compel somebody to come in. And then I thought about his commitment to us. He has invested in us. He gave us life that's worth living. Now we must use it for His glory. But ultimately, if you can't pass the commandment and you can't think about His commitment, you gotta consider the coming judgment of God. Amen. You ever read that verse of scripture where the apostle Paul writes to the young man and he said, go ahead and do everything, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, go ahead and do everything that's in your heart. That's not a license to go sow wild oats, by the way. Amen. But but it was a positive statement. He didn't tell him to go out and sin, but he said, go out and follow your dreams. Go out and invest your hopes and your life in the things that you enjoy. Go out and do those things that seem right unto you. But he said, be aware, because all of these things will be called into judgment. There'll come a day when man, as we, hey listen, as believers, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account. We're going to be audited as to whether or not we used his talents wisely. Amen. Did we invest in others so that others could be saved? Amen. Let me say this and then I'm moving on. Listen, out of everything we do as believers, we'll do everything we do better in heaven than we do on earth. Except reaching people for Christ. 
Amen. And for those of you that are talented in these musicians, there's the piano and the bass and the and the acoustic guitar. And uh, and as as talented as those that sit here and play for us are, they'll play better in heaven. Man, I mean, just listen. You get out of this flesh, you got to play better. And and as talented as the singers are, they'll sing better in heaven. Amen. As talented as your preacher is, you'll preach better in heaven. As talented as we are in our lives, we'll do what we do, even worship. You'll worship better when you have a new body. But the one thing you'll never do in heaven, the one thing you'll never do in heaven is reach somebody for Christ because there won't be anybody to reach. They will be forever separated and parted from us as believers. And so the ministry of reconciliation, the responsibility has been placed in our on our shoulders. Number two, look at verse 19. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, now there is an application in verse 19. That word could be a reference to the word of God. That's often what the interpretation is. But I sense in my spirit that that's not exactly what Paul is speaking about. Although we know according to what Peter writes, he said, for we're not redeemed. Excuse me, he said, uh, he said, for we're not born of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, even the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And it does take the word of God to get saved. But I believe that the context of verse number 19 is a word about reconciliation. Now, here's the picture. You'll notice that he identifies three things in verse 19. God was in Christ, number one, uh, reconciling the world unto himself, number two, not imputing their trespasses unto them, number three. What a treasure, amen? What a treasure that's laid out before us. He talks about his person. God was in Christ. Are you listening to me? The great distinguishing factor between true Christianity and occultism, false doctrine of occultism, is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I might go a little further and say the exclusivity of his deity. You corner a Jehovah's Witness, a JW, and if you really want to rile them up, go to talking about Jesus as God. All right? They'll talk about a Bible. They don't have the same Bible you've got, and it's a corrupt Bible. That's why they have a corrupt doctrine. Just say, by the way, amen. But, but ultimately, the distinguishing factor is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, you go to Mormonism, and they believe that Jesus is one of the gods, but they don't see him as the only God. Right? And so, again, you're talking about the exclusivity of his dignity. Amen. But God was in Christ. He's not an ordinary man. He's the God-man. He wasn't a little God and a little man. He was all God and all man. You say, preacher, you can't explain that. And I didn't say I could. I just believe it because God said it. Amen. And the one place that God manifested his physical presence on this earth is in the Lord Jesus Christ who is God. Amen. And we understand that God is a trinity in three persons or three personalities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And he, he declares in the book of Third John, they are one. They don't just agree as one, they are one. They don't strive for a common uniform goal. They're just one. Amen. But God was in Christ. If he's not God, he can't save nobody. 
Read First John when you get home. It's just, it's just a little book. You can read the whole book in, in, in just a little sitting, and you'll find over and over again that the reference is clear that if a spirit doesn't declare that he's God in the flesh, he's not of him. Amen. And if you don't believe that, you can't. If you don't believe that he's God in the flesh, you're not of him. And over and over, because the essential component of man's salvation was that the Creator came to die for the creation. That God came to die for man. Amen. And by the way, we know that. Amen. Now, it's 90 degrees out there this afternoon. Amen. But I'm telling you, it won't be long. It'll be Christmas. Hallelujah, that'll cool you down right there. See, just like that, everybody just cool down immediately. Amen. And so, and so everybody got excited about that except you women that feel like you're behind on your decorating. All right. You hadn't started buying your decor yet. You don't have the pumpkins up yet. Now you're talking about Christmas preacher. You can't get it. You can't keep it in order, Brother Moore. Amen. Think, think about Christmas. And, and they'll celebrate a benevolent, kind, world-changing baby that was born. But if you want to mess up everybody's theology, that was God. That was the incarnate Christ. Amen. And you just have to read John 1 to figure out why it came. Because the world was in darkness, but he came that they might have light. Amen. And, and the reality was they didn't want the light because men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And they won't come to the light lest their deeds be reproved. Thus, when you start preaching Christ, it goes against the grain. Am I right? But, but I'm saying to you, we have truth. We're the, we're the, we are the stewards of truth. We're the keepers of truth. And the first truth that he identified in the text, Brother Nathan, was God was in Christ. We talk about the deity of the Lord Jesus or the person of the Lord Jesus. But notice the second truth that he invests in us in the text. He said not only was God in Christ, but he was reconciling the world unto himself. Hallelujah. Now what's that talking about? That's speaking about his passion, Brother Samuel. When I say his passion, I'm not talking about what he loves, but I'm talking about how he died. And, and when it talks about he was reconciling the world unto himself, he is simply reminding us that you and I are aware of why he came. Amen. Why he came? He didn't come so we'd know how to suffer. He didn't come so we'd know how to die. He came so we could be reconciled to God. And he, he listened to me. You and I are the beholders of truth when it comes to the passion of Christ. We know that he was God in the flesh, but we know that he came so that he could save others. He could pay their sin debt. Now watch this. Here's the third great truth in the text. He said we know about his person. He was God in Christ. We know about his passion. He was reconciling the world. But he said, then we know about his pardon. For he was not imputing their trespasses unto them. Hold the mules and shout. Amen. He said, I came so that they could be forgiven. Man, I'm telling you, we got the answer. God was in Christ. He died so that we could be reconciled. And when you come to him, he forgives your sins. Uh, What a package. What a package. And you know it's a good deal because you've already got it. You know it works because you're saved. But now he turns around and he said, if anybody, if anybody's going to listen. The preacher said this morning there was a few of these people. God help. Y'all take these because 
If y'all save them for next spring with that face on there, making that kind of face, put it in your corn patch. It'll be better than a scarecrow. Amen. If I were to say to you, there's people in America's Georgia that won't know revivals going on down here unless Brother Kirk goes and tells them. All right? And, and he knows God's moving. He knows God's doing something. He knows that we're in the midst of a meeting. He knows the dates. He knows the time. He knows the way to get there, right? And here's what the Bible is seemingly saying. It's saying in this illustration, it said, all right, Brother Kurt, you take that and go. And if you don't take that to those people that don't know what's going on, you know what's going on, and here's the proof. Here's the word. you got to go tell them. Here's the word. If you don't go tell them, they're not going to know. Amen. Now, that's an application about the revival meeting. But what about salvation? And do you realize there's people in your back door, there's people you work with, there's people you go to school with, there's people that you interact with or do business with, there's family members. I know it, I, I just know tonight that, that in our families there are those that do not clearly understand what Christianity is, what salvation is, amen, what, what Christ came for, amen, baby in a manger, man on a cross, we talk about he got up out of the grave, they're not even sure about that, say amen right there. And yet you and I possess truth. God has given us truth and we are possessors of that truth because of our own conversion. And we know it was God in the flesh. And we know He died so men could be saved. And we know, according to the Scripture, that He forgives sin. He rose again for our justification. Amen. But the world will never know that unless you go tell them because He gave you that word. What word? It's the glad tidings. See? The word is Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Now it's summed up in those three statements, but the essence is you're just telling them this is who Jesus is. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And we have that word to give. We have that word to give. And if we don't give that word, then we are slothful servants. Because he has given to us. And that word given to us implies that he gave it to us in confidence. <laughs> oh, I don't get that. Brother Jamie, I can't quite grasp that. But he gave us the word of reconciliation is a statement of confidence that he trusted us with the greatest news that's ever been told. I can't get my arms around that, but I never have figured out that text where the Apostle Paul said, I thank my God that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. <laughs> can't get there. Been in it almost 47 years, but I can't get there. I have to hang my hat. Y'all know, some of y'all know, my profession before I went full-time ministry 22 years ago was accountant. I, I, I was a corporate accountant for 14 years with Georgia Pacific Corporation. And, uh, and that word, he counted me faithful, is an accountant's term. Hallelujah. Amen. It means that he made up the difference. Amen. It means he adjusted the totals. He made up the difference. And man, he looked at me and, and, and what he saw in me, I under God in heaven don't see in me. Never have and I don't think I ever will, but he saw in me something that I couldn't see in myself. And he picked me up and he put me in the ministry and I said, I can't. And he said, I know. Hallelujah. Amen. I can't. 
He said, I know, but I'll make up the difference. It's Christ working in us. May I say to you, you sit on these pews, you say, I can't witness to anybody. I can't tell anybody. I can't talk to anybody. But yes, you can. It's just one old beggar telling another old beggar where you got the bread. Amen. If I were to say, tell me where the best restaurant in America is, all of you would have your opinion. Amen. You can tell me how to get there because you've been. <laughs> hey, hallelujah. Let me say that again. That felt pretty good saying it. You can tell me how to get there because you've been there. That's how salvation is. You can tell somebody how to get there because you've been there. You can tell them what it tastes like because you've tasted of the Lord. You can say to them, I've tasted Him. You come and taste Him and see if He's not sweet and good. Amen. And so He gave us the ministry, but then He gives us the means. We know the truth, and He has given us the Word. Then look at verse number 20. He said, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Our status has just been elevated. Hallelujah. Amen. He said, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Not only did he give us the ministry of reconciliation, it's our responsibility, and the means of reconciliation, the word's been committed to us. But he said the messen- that we are the messengers of reconciliation. Get this with me. There, there is a misconception that has hindered the New Testament church of our generation, and it is this, that the duty of ambassadorship falls on the shoulders of the preacher. Amen. But it's not about the preacher. It's about the people. And he says to us in verse number 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. It's not just the preachers. It is each individual that's been saved by the grace of God. We have a duty. We have a responsibility to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been elevated to an official representative. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I'm just telling you, there's something to be said about, about our situation. We are ambassadors for Christ. And there's much that could be said about this ambassadorship. I, I, I could preach about the appearance of the ambassador. <laughs> Amen. The appearance of the ambassador, he is never, he is never to go and become what he is. He is never to go and become one of those that he is working among. He is always to be a reflection of the nation that sent him. Amen? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so there's the appearance of the ambassador. He looks like the country that sent him. There's the air of confidence about the ambassador. He knows what he's talking about. There's the assistance that he brings, the peace that he arbitrates. But ultimately, the ambassador operates on the authority of the country that sent him or the king that sent him. It's an official position. Do you realize that when the ambassador of the United States walks into the office of the president or prime minister or king of a foreign nation, when he walks and sits down across the table, Brother Dent, he speaks with the authority of the United States of America. He speaks with the authority of the, of the president and of the Congress and of the people and the courts. 
And he said, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it has to happen. This is what's going to take place. And he does that because there's a country that sent him and he operates as the official voice of or the official representation of that country in a foreign land. (laughs) When he saved us, he made us a citizen of heaven. And he could have took us out and took us home. And there's times that I think to myself, that sure would have been a blessing. <laughs> Somebody say amen right there. But can y'all imagine, this, this is my carnal side, Brother Nathan. Y'all just help me right here. Forgive me for about ten seconds. But can you imagine trying to get people saved if they knew the day they got saved they'd pull out? <laughs> amen? Yeah. But he left us here. He left us on earth as his representatives of heaven. One man said, you are the hands of the Lord Jesus to do good. You are the feet of the Lord Jesus to go to where they are. You are the mouth of the Lord Jesus to tell others what He can do for them. If He's going to speak on earth, He'll speak through you. If He's going to do a work on earth, He'll do it through you. If He's going to go to the lost on earth, He'll go through you. Amen? I recognize the heavens declare the handiwork of God, but sometimes you have to have a translator or an interpreter. But you're the interpreter. You're the one that goes to make the message of Christ clear. It's worth it. Hey, we believe in the miracle of regeneration. We ought to be investing in the ministry of reconciliation. We ought to say in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Amen. So he said, he said there's the ministry or responsibility. There's the means or the word. There's the messengers. It's us. But he concludes in verse number 21. I'll give you this and then we'll move on and get you my third point. We'll be done tonight. There's the measure of our reconciliation. And I don't know. Y'all forgive me. Sometimes it's just the way I think about things. But verse number 21 doesn't contain one of those commitment items as verses 18, 19, and 20 do where we know we have the ministry, we know we have the means, or we are the messengers. God has laid that in our lap. But in verse 21... I think he deals with a measure of reconciliation. Amen. And and here's what he said. (laughs) For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. That we, excuse me, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wait a minute. In the previous verse, in the previous verse, the statement is made by the Apostle Paul. He said, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And then as though he would be, how far should you go? How far should you go? You ever thought about an ambassador? Very often they're the last ones to leave. In 2004... In 2004, I, I made a trip to Africa, a scheduled 30-day trip, 17 days in Kenya. I caught a plane, flew across the continent nine hours, and landed and landed in Burkina Faso. On a Wednesday night, about 9 o'clock at night, was picked up by a missionary family. Brother Keith Shoemaker and his wife picked me up and their kids, took me to a mission house in uh, the capital of Abidjan, where we spent the night, eat breakfast the next morning, and he said, we better get out of town, there's going to be some problems. And they're going to do some riots and they're going to block the streets. And I won't go into all the details, but that was on Wednesday. By Saturday, a full-blown war between the rebels and the national forces in 
had broke out. We were trapped. We couldn't go. The airports were closed. They were burning and killing and shooting, and the UN was involved, and France was involved, and other countries were involved, and the African Union was involved, and we didn't know when we was going to get out. Well, long story short, long story short, we went from Saturday of that week through the next week. We couldn't leave, and I, I, if you have time sometime, I'll tell you all about that. And uh, we was we was behind the compound of Missionary Jason Hamby. We was just there. We couldn't go out. We couldn't come in. We was just fearful for our lives, and we was watching. They was trying to work things out. They said, don't come. We can't get you out. We can't hide you. The embassy told us not to come. But finally, things began to open up. They were begin to evacuate people, and they told us that if we could get to the airport in Abidjan, which was two and a half hours away, they'd get us on an evacuation flight and get us out. And uh, uh, supposedly the Germans were operating some flights, and we'd be able to get on one of those flights. And so very early on Thursday morning, we prayed and had people all over the world praying for us. We got in a vehicle and we drove through that war zone, managed to get to the airport and uh, safe on the inside now. It's pretty well protected. And they started putting us on various planes and are talking about putting us on planes. And and as it turned out, our uh, a final assignment, they, they, we missed the flight, the, Ger- the German flight, uh, gone, I don't understand all that. But But as it turned out, they said, oh, don't worry, Mr. Moore, I went up to the consulate's desk. And I said, when is our flight leaving? They said, your flight left. And I said, what? I've been right here. We didn't know. And they said, well, don't worry, don't worry. We've got flight seats. We've got seats on the flight being operated by the Spanish government. So they evacuated us on a flight on a diplomatic plane for the Spanish government. So I got to listening about it. And it comes to find out that that plane was the personal property of the king of Spain. (laughs) And that it, it was it was the king's plane that got us out of there. That'll make a Presbyterian shout. And uh, and they let Spanish citizens get on the plane, but they made us stay down at the tarmac waiting to get up on the plane. Seemed like we stood there for forty five minutes or an hour. And finally, somebody came out to explain what the delay was, brother David. They said the ambassador will be on this flight. And he's still securing the safety of his people. And once the ambassador's on board, you can get on board. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. And so here he comes, and he spoke to a few people, and the ambassador comes in. The ambassador got on the plane, and then we followed after him. But I got to thinking, he was the last Spaniard, he was the last citizen of Spain to leave that country. I mean, I, I can't say that nobody chose not to go. But I'm talking about those that were pulling out on the evacuation flight. The last one to go was the ambassador because he had a responsibility to be about the business uh, of securing the, the safety of his citizens. Uh, may I say to you, may I say to you that Jesus would compel us to go to the end of the earth so that we can secure the salvation of some poor sinner that's lost. How far would you be willing to go? And he said, well, I'll tell you how far the Lord was willing to go. That's how verse 21 operates. He said, for he made him to be sin. That is the awfulest, darkest, nastiest, filthiest, wicked picture that I can fathom in my mind tonight. I can't. I can't get my hands around that principle. He made him to be sin. And what he didn't say, Brother Nathan, he didn't make him a sinner. Oh, no. Because to be a sinner, you had to commit the sin. 
He didn't make him the sin. Oh, no, he didn't make him a sinner. He just made him the sin. And by the way, sin is the object of God's hatred, not sinners. God loves sinners. For while we were yet sinners, God commendeth his love toward us. And while we were sent sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. He, he didn't make him to be a sinner, but he made him sin, Brother Jamie. Do you know what sin is? Sin is the object of God's hatred. God hates sin. And his own son, his own darling son, became sin. Became the thing that the father hated so that he could reconcile us to himself. Oh my I mean, he became vile, wicked. He didn't become a murderer, but he became murder. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he was drunkenness. He became sin because God hates sin. <laughs> and he was willing to go to the place where he became the object of God's hatred so that he could save us. How far are you and I supposed to go in this matter of reconciling the world unto Christ? We'll probably have to go till somebody hates us. We'll probably have to go until we're the object of somebody's hatred. Amen. But, but just because they don't like us, does that mean we're supposed to stop? Just because we are an offense to them, are we supposed to stop? We have a higher call and our call is a responsibility back to God. Let us rise up and embrace our responsibility. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We're His representatives. We possess the truth. And if we don't give the truth, we're like that slothful servant that buried it in the ground and never told anybody, never made anything on behalf of the measure of the master measure of reconciliation. Look how far God was willing to go. We ought to be willing to go further than we went so that somebody could know about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Profitable things. I'm going to close with this. The miracle of regeneration is a profitable thing. And if we believe that, we ought to invest in the ministry of reconciliation because that's the vehicle whereby the miracle is delivered. Amen. We got the product and we got the vehicle, but we're going to have to have the power. And I believe that in these days, the mystery of revival is worth investing in. Psalms 85 and 6, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? The average believer has no time for revival. They're not willing to make a commitment toward revival. They have no change because of revival. And frankly, I fear that so many have no concern about the power of God in their lives. It'll stir the soul, save the sinner, and salute the Savior. And ultimately, it will result in a passion in our relationship, progress in our spiritual steps, praise on our lips, but a power in our service. Why revival? Well, the Bible said we do it so we can rejoice in Him. That's a picture of worship, and it's an exaltation because the only way to draw the world to the Savior is to exalt Him. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. We believe in the miracle of regeneration. 
We ought to embrace the ministry of reconciliation. But we can't do it on our own. And it is the mystery of revival. That's the power that we plug into that will enable us to do the work of God. Let's stand their feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. They're coming with a song invitation. Profitable things. Profitable things. What do you invest in your life in? I'm just going to ask you like this. Are we living our lives unto ourselves? Or are we living our lives for the cause of Christ? If God's handed us another day, another week, another month, another year, another decade, another century, what will we do with it? Will it just be for us and for our satisfaction and our gratification and our comfort? Or will it be for the honor and the glory of God to bear fruit to His account? To bring people to the knowledge of the Savior. I want my life to count. But I want it to count for Christ. The old song said something like this. It said no marble plaques. No trophies. But there is a record book. And I want it to be clear in that record book that I took seriously the ministry of reconciling people to the Savior. And I can only do that with the power of God. Sing when you're ready, Brother David. The altars are open. Page 97. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus said. Sing a 